Welcome to the Everyone's a Critic Movie Review Podcast. I'm your co-host, Bob Zerl. With me, as always, is professional film critic, Sean Patrick. Visit us at IHateCritics.net, Everyone'sACriticPodcast.com. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Our handle is CriticsPod. Uh, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Alexa, all your podcatchers. Rate and review the show, and you will be given a copy of, if you're the next person to do it, if you don't get a million copies of them, uh, we'll be given a 4K Blu-ray, right? Is it 4K or just regular yeah, Blu-ray? Yeah, it's 4K, 4K. Blu-ray, and yeah. I spit on your grave, which, uh, again, one of our one of our better Patreon episodes. Uh, so with that being said, patreon.com slash criticspod, the best way to support the podcast. Uh, you can listen to that I spit on your grade episode. I spit on your grave, not grade. Uh, this is in a classroom. <laughs> uh, <laughs> As well as our most recently, we did an episode on Nirvana and then one on Metallica. We're gonna we're looking at some Led Zeppelin and Beatles ones uh, in the near future, hopefully. Yeah, I would say the Beatles is probably next, considering that uh, documentary is gonna be out soon. Yeah, I'm ready for that one. I, the album we picked, Abbey Road, I could without hearing it again, I could do it. That's how much I love that album. <laughs> so I've I've finished the the first episode of this documentary today for my job and uh i'm conflicted <laughs> at a certain point it's just them noodling like it's just them playing around and that's really entertaining for a while but it's then it's like this is the same thing again. <laughs> did you ever watch the rick rubin one yeah yeah that was incredible right because yeah that, that seemed to have more focus to it than this does this is really like this is really cobbled together well that one just they kept capturing just the the magicalness of the Beatles music. And they just kept capturing it over and over again. Just the looks yeah. on their faces. Like even Paul McCartney's like, I didn't even know that was there. <laughs> you know, kinda <laughs> just really cool stuff. But yeah, look forward to that in upcoming episodes or upcoming months. And then if you want to be get, get some of our merch, tpublic.com, search for critics pod or go to I hate critics and click on the T public link in the upper right hand corner. All right. We are on YouTube. If you want to watch us live on Mondays, Tuesdays, or Sundays, whenever we get together, uh, we do post a link on our social media pages when we are live. Uh, we don't have a whole lot of notice because we're busy people. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, let's go ahead and get started with the massive new release, The Force Away. I mean, Ghostbusters <laughs> Afterlife. I have not seen it, so that wasn't fair. But <laughs> uh, the ghost, I, I liked, I liked Force Awakens, and I like Ghostbusters Afterlife. So there, uh, <laughs> Ghostbusters Afterlife uh, picks up the story of of the Ghostbusters uh, after uh, Egon had left New York. He went to Oklahoma because he believed that there was something there uh, in this small town that uh, had never that only existed for about a hundred years that uh, may be connected to Gozer and the original you know, thing that they battled in New York. He thinks that the, the next step might be in this small town in Oklahoma. Of course, nobody believes him and nobody goes with him, and he, so he goes alone. And we see him uh, in the opening uh, scenes uh, trying to track down uh, one of the key aspects of that using this farm that he's built that's uh, actually – a giant Ghostbusters containment unit, which is pretty cool. Uh, and that scene plays out in a way that's very exciting and 
and moving and I really liked it. It really gets the movie off to a very fast start. And then we're introduced to our main characters. Uh, Carrie Coon plays Egon's daughter, uh, who was, who was uh, very much distant from him. She didn't know him growing up and she's not a big fan because obviously he left when she was very young. Uh, she's got two kids of her own played by Finn Wolfhard and uh, McKenna Grace, who are uh, you know, typical kids. Uh, t- uh, one's a teenager. She's 12 years old and she's brilliant. She's a lot like her grandfather, gets similar hair and glasses and so on. And the same curious spirit. And uh, they, they end up losing their apartment just as they find out that he's died and left them this farm. So they decide to move there. And uh, sh- the young girl sets about uh, searching around this farm and finds Egon's lab and uh, the PKE meter and the, and the trap and accidentally lets a ghost loose and then finds all the equipment and goes out with her brother. They go ghost hunting uh, along with their friend podcast which is a young character that she's a, becomes friends with who records everything that he does as the podcast, <laughs> which has a couple of really good payoffs later in the movie that I, I really liked, that a lot of people don't like. And I don't care because I found it funny because um, <laughs> I like this character and I like all of these characters. I think these characters are great. I, I love these new characters. Uh, Paul Rudd plays a seismologist who became fascinated by this small town. So he accepted this small town teaching job just so he could be there to investigate the the earthquake activity in a place where there are no fault lines or or no you know no uh, volcanoes why is this place shaking all the time obviously that's going to be related to the main plot uh, so it's a clever way to get that character to where he is and why he's there he's also the love interest for Carrie Coon so a lot of pieces fit together there there's certainly conveniences but nevertheless th- this movie is just so much fun and when when the ghostbusters show up eventually the 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 original ones show up it it's as exciting as you would hope it would be it's as memorable as you hope it would be but it doesn't take away from anything that these that these new characters are doing. And uh, I re- the, just Jason Reitman just nails every aspect of combining the nostalgia with something new and exciting. You know, Finn Wolfhard and McKenna Grace are especially just really great casting choices. They, they really love doing this. And of course, Paul Rudd's amazing. And Carrie Coon is one of the best actresses on the planet. Uh, she's kind of lowering herself to do this. If you ask yeah. me, like, she's so much, she's just such a, she should be doing Oscar stuff. Honestly, uh, not to take anything away again from this, because I do love this. Uh, I thought this was great. I really had a great time watching it, and I, I recommend it to everybody. Yeah, I am i haven't seen it yet, as you could probably tell from our intro on YouTube, at least. My son and wife came down with COVID <laughs> last week. <laughs> so uh, we had a big week planned. Uh, my son's favorite band was in town, and Ghostbusters came out, and he couldn't do either one of them. Oh, uh, so he was really kid. bummed. He was he's like, Paul Rude, I can't go see Paul Rude. <laughs> uh, I'm like, we'll go see it this weekend. If you he is the sexiest man alive. So that that, well, that melding of Rude Paul and Rude makes sense. <laughs> the funny part is because he's been in grocery stores and seen the magazine, but he didn't know. He just saw there's Paul Rude on the magazine because <laughs> he was a big Marvel guy. So we knew him from Ant-Man and he, he knows yeah. it's Rudd. He's just being a right. smart ass. Uh, but uh We'll go see it this weekend for sure. And I know, like, I love Ghostbusters so much that I don't really care that it's fan service. If it's, and I don't know if it's fair. Everybody, like, my brother can't stand it for a number of reasons. He doesn't like fan service stuff. Uh, uh-huh. He hates that someone has named podcast. I'm a podcaster. That drives me nuts. <laughs> and he's always, he's never been a big fan of nepotism. 
<laughs> no matter Jesus how Christ. well earned or not. Yeah, uh, yeah, because Jason Reitman is really the, getting the benefit of everything here. Jason Reitman has done. Can't stand any of those <laughs> movies. He hates Juno. He hates young adult. And so it's all. Re- I mean, I don't know. Just some people are stubborn, and that's the way it is. Uh, I. I and I don't want to be a hypocrite because my biggest complaint with Force Awakens is it was nothing new, just fan service. It basically retold the first Star Wars is with these new characters. And from what I understand, that's what this movie does. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Uh, and I guess you could, in a way, I guess Creed did. Although I thought Creed was really pretty original on its own. Regardless. So I, would, I would say this is more along the lines of Creed in terms of creating new characters that are that stand apart from the originals and I think a lot of this too. I, I'm the first person to call call out Hollywood for reheating our leftovers. You know, I, I used that phrase a lot on this show, and uh, I didn't feel like this. This didn't. This felt like really good leftovers, like from yesterday, as opposed to three days ago. This, <laughs> I mean, is, this more, is a really. This is a really good stuff. This is more like instead of reheating, it's like the McRib came back. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. That makes no sense. Uh, I want to see it so bad. I can't wait to see it. Uh, now, I just don't. The, the, the vitriol that this is getting is so ludicrous to me. I read somebody, a very prominent, I guess, critic on Twitter, talking about this, and he just comes off as as like a as like somebody who doesn't want to share his toys. And <laughs> just it's not your toy anymore. It's everybody's toy. Everybody gets to play with it now. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> Just just whining about it, just whining about it. It didn't even come off like criticism. It came off like whining, and it really disappointed me to see somebody who was rather prominent in what we do whining. Uh, you know, and I think when you want to make a better comparison to how this is, it's it reminded more, me more not of somebody having to give give away the toy that they want. It was more like Toy Story 3, where it's like, I've got these really great toys, and I'm going to give them to the next generation to play with them because I don't play with toys anymore. That's what this is like. That's, I mean, that's a cool, that's awesome to hear that. And for the most part, I mean, I've only heard good things about it other than my, I knew my brother would hate it. So I'm not even counting that. (laughs) And he went and saw it opening weekend. So, I mean, I think there's part of him that loves it too. He just doesn't want to admit it. And, uh, I, I guess my question is, you know, another big complaint I had with Force Awakens, it was, it reminded me of like an episode of Full House, like when Han Solo shows up, there's a pause and the crowd claps and stuff. Is it like that when Peter Rakeman and Ray, then, uh, Egan, or Winston and Ray pop on screen or not really? I don't think so. Actually, it's, it's really emotional actually at a certain point, uh, the way they play it, and I'm not going to give anything away, but the way they play it, it actually becomes very emotional when it happens. That's awesome. I can't wait. And I'm hoping, like, my son's showing no symptoms right now. We're going to test him again on Thursday. <laughs> I can't even go to my parents' house for Thanksgiving. So it's just us at home. Uh, again, no big deal. I'm not, no pity party. It's just, you know, kids are, they like to do things. And I mean, he was going to have a vegan Thanksgiving anyway, so that I mean, what's true. the point? Yeah, well, I, instead of having, quite frankly, it makes it easier on me. I don't got to go to the laws. Uh, I don't got to carry a whole other meal to my parents' house. Uh, but we'll get him tested, and hopefully, I'd imagine we'll get to see it this weekend because he should be in the clear at that point. 
Uh, but I'm glad to know you liked it, and I, I believe your headline was nostalgia done properly or right or yeah, it's nostalgia done right. Yeah, so I, I can't. This looks so good, and plus I'm an apologist. I like part two even, even though I know it's not good. It's still I like the character so much. I don't yeah. care. And I liked the, I liked the girl ghost. I like the girl ghost too. Uh, I don't even like calling it that, but what else? <laughs> the other one, but. <laughs> it's in its own little world i guess but i like yeah i just it's just fun for me and i can't wait to go and see it anything else before we move on no no that's good all right king richard king richard stars will smith in the story of richard williams the uh incredibly driven and dedicated father of venus and serena who uh even before they were born had seen something on television of a of a female tennis player receiving a purse of about forty thousand dollars for winning at a tennis match and he thought to himself well i mean i've already got athletic children i have two more <laughs> i bet they could probably play tennis or at least i could teach them and they'll just be natural athletes and then they can win and and uh they can make a lot of money uh, doing it and he was right. <laughs> he said they were even to this is actually documented. He said to Serena that uh, Venus is going to be the number one tennis player in the world, but you're going to be the greatest tennis player of all time, which, again, also went on to happen. Right. Um, which is great, except th- the thing about this movie that that's troubling is that Venus and Serena are so flat, like we don't get a real sense of them. And that's led to some people saying that this movie is about, you know, taking their accomplishments away and making their accomplishments about their father and what he did. And I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't think that's what the movie intends to do. I think it's just the fact that Venus and Serena aren't particularly well written. The performances don't particularly stand apart. And and that really is what leads people to saying that they're that that's that's kind of leading to that unfair conclusion that this this is a movie that's about making their accomplishments about Richard and I I like I said I don't think that's what it's doing I think what's happening here is that we've got Will Smith is this outsized star delivering a very big star performance very well pulling focus and thus making it more about Richard just through his casting and just through the fact that it's about Richard <laughs> uh, and so that's automatically going to flatten out Venus and Serena as characters and diminish their you know, accomplishments in comparison to what he helped them to accomplish, which is something of a fair criticism of the movie, but not necessarily entirely fair. Uh, Cause I don't think this movie is disrespectful to Venus and Serena. They, they personally don't feel that this was disrespectful to them in any way. And I think we have to defer to them right. <laughs> when it comes to that. Uh, if they say they don't feel disrespected, then that's what we have to go with. Um, there's a lot of really good things about this. Like uh, the, uh, the uh, Will Smith's performance is, is full bodied. It's, it's, you know, very, it's very detailed. He's very committed. Uh, John Bernthal is uh, very, is very good as kind of a unintentional comic foil for him <laughs> as uh, who becomes the, uh, the, uh, the sister's uh, coach. Uh, and he's just constantly just shocked and surprised. It's everything that Richard does. He can't seem to keep up with it, uh, which kind of gets funny at times. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of good things about this. I don't think it's a great movie because, again, the, the characterizations of Venus and Serena are just a little too flat. 
And if they had, and especially since the final scenes are at a tennis match, one of uh, Venus's first uh, finals as a professional, uh, to not have it feel like it's her at the center of that takes away from the fact that she's the star of the final act of the movie. Right. And we're always constantly cutting back to where Richard is. He's kind of hiding away, not to try not to distract her. So he's hiding in a hallway, watching it on TV. And we're constantly cutting back to him. And so that takes a, it, it, the, the ending doesn't feel right because the main character is not at the center of the scene. Mm. Uh, and that's always going to make your movie feel strange. Is this a hard hitting movie or is it pretty safe and happy? Very safe. Yeah. This doesn't touch upon any of the real edge of of richard some of it some of it's there like the way he talks to reporters uh but that's played off as mostly not him being rude but him being protective of his daughters which i get that that's what it i get that's what what his intent his intent was to protect his daughters but it didn't change the fact that each time he gave an interview he came off like a complete asshole uh he had no tact whatsoever and that may be the thing, again, that he's protecting his daughters. I get that. But he had zero tact. And this movie doesn't portray that very well. So how involved- uh, he, Go ahead. He also gets off pretty easily on, you know, leaving his multiple wives and having many, many, many children before Venus and Serena. Uh, they, they don't really go into that very deeply. Uh, he is kind of venerated in that way. But... Again, I don't think it's some of that's there enough of it's there that I don't think that criticism entirely holds up, but it is playing it safe. Now, how involved were Cerny and Venus? Did they just sign off on it or was it their idea or? I believe they they signed off on it. I believe that they they may have an executive producer credit. I don't think they didn't approve the script. Uh, They kind of approved the final cut, I think, is what the impression that I got. So I mean, basically, my um, is this kind of is authorized, <laughs> right? It was more of like a love letter to their dad or a thank you for you know whatever, in, as opposed to the hard hitting stuff that maybe Tiger Woods' dad would have or something else. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I thought about watching it. It's just it's really long. <laughs> you do start to feel that length. Yeah. All right, let's move on to. Abel Ferrara, zeros <laughs> yes. and ones. Uh, Abel Ferrara, you know, has is, is been as kind of a star of this podcast when we talked about him because he's so interesting. Everything he does is so interesting. He's he's, and when I heard the pitch, the pitch is that you know Abel Ferrara is going to tackle you know what it's been like for the last year and a half. You know, a combination of a focus on both terrorism and on on COVID nineteen, and it's like that. Like Abel Ferrara and Ethan Hawke are going to tackle that. Right. I'm, I'm in, right? <laughs> then you're watching the movie and you cannot tell what is happening from minute one to minute last. You cannot see. You can hardly see anything. He's using these handheld cameras. Potentially, they could be cell phones. I'm not sure. <laughs> but the lighting is so bad that you can't tell who's doing what at any time. The use there's a a terror attack at the center of this that is at the Vatican, and they're literally going to blow up the Vatican. And it it really plays almost as if somebody took a picture of the Vatican and then an explosion effect from like a Microsoft effect set (laughs) (laughs) put that over the Vatican, and that's our terrorist attack. That it's pretty bad. 
there's a, there's so many confusing scenes in this movie. Like uh, the movie is set during COVID times. People are seen wearing masks. But at one point, Hawk. So Hawk's playing two characters. He's playing twin brothers. Uh, one's a revolutionary who's been captured and is being held hostage. The other is a soldier who uh, is kind of a Blackwater type. Uh, handles you know uh, handles like uh, waterboarding and stuff. Uh, so the soldier character goes to visit this woman that he has on the side in Italy who has a baby. Uh, he walks in. She hands him a mask. He puts he puts the mask on. She puts a mask on. They kiss with the masks on. They have a brief conversation. And then she goes to talk to the baby, takes her mask off. He follows her, takes his mask off. And they both go in to talk to, to be around the baby. And I'm like, why? Why did this happen? <laughs> You're kind of missing the point of the masks. wow so i couldn't tell honestly like is april ferrara making a statement that he hates masking and 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 is like a COVID denier i don't know i don't know honestly where he comes down on that well and that's the when even when his good movies when you watch them they they're you know one wrong turn away from being a disaster (laughs) that's what's so great about him right right (laughs) <laughs> so I'll always appreciate what he does, even when I don't like it, because yeah. he's always going to be authentically himself. But uh, and, he does and he not care at all. He it, doesn't care at all what the audience thinks. That's you know, and and sometimes that means greatness, and sometimes that means this. Right. Yeah. This is trash. This is one of the worst movies of the year. <laughs> But hey, we'll we'll always have Ms. 45 and and Bad Lieutenant. So, I mean, there's the trade-off. And I'll take it. (laughs) Just don't take those movies away from me. All right. Jagged, the HBO Music Box music box series uh, <laughs> did you say music botch <laughs> initially on accident but it, it works out that's probably what it is did you watch this at all or no i did i did uh so jagged is about uh, takes us back to uh, the mid 90s to the rise of alanis morissette and uh right at the bat it does nail the the whole you know the nostalgia right i mean th- that is all there i it took me back because i uh, and I can say this, this is not clout chasing. This is true. I've got a somewhere I have a ticket stub that shows that I was at the Adler Theater in Davenport on November 25th for the Jagged Little Pill Tour. I was there. I saw it. It was amazing. And she's amazing. And uh, and what this what this documentary does really well is capture the excitement of that moment where Alanis goes from writing these songs with Glenn Ballard at his house to within month she's traveling the world as the biggest star on the planet and capturing that moment that excitement this movie does that incredibly well and takes you inside that very well the story about you know k-rock getting a copy of jagged little pill and immediately deciding to put that on the air like immediately Mm -hmm. (laughs) putting you ought to know on the air uh is a great story incredibly well told um the issue is, is that this is not a serious documentary. This movie doesn't have any any sort of seriousness, and so when they start talking about serious stuff, it the the, the documentary seems to pull away from that. It seems to not know how to handle that. Right. It wants to be, it wants for a moment to be salacious, or it wants to be hard hitting, but then it doesn't have the the actual weight to pull that off. Uh, that comes in when we're especially talking about, you know, Alanis 
having been sexually assaulted when she was 15. Um, and, and she talks about that a little bit. Uh, she's, she says something about you know, talking to a therapist about uh, saying that the, you know, the sex was consensual, but then catching herself and reminding herself, I was 15, I couldn't possibly consent to anything at that point. And uh, the movie does seem to, to throw shade initially at one of her early producers without actually making an accusation against him. Uh, but it's uncomfortable and it's and it's not very well played out uh, how how the director lays that out. The other part, of course, the, the other issue that I have with it, uh, they, they kind of gloss over her, her eating disorder that was forced upon her also by this guy. Um, that aspect kind of gets left out. They also take, take plenty of time to show her naked, like uh, or near nude in multiple photo shoots and, and a bath scene. And uh, again, th- these are old stuff from when she was you know a kid, right. not now. Right. <laughs> this is when she was a, you know, a teenager, 19 years old. Uh, and yet they talk also about her being sexualized. So like, make up your mind, which one you're doing here guys. Um, but then they get into the whole, like, you can't talk about you ought to know and not mention Dave Coulier. Do we have, has that not, has that urban legend not been debunked or removed from the culture or just overdone at the very least? Right. We got to go there. Uh, it, it just got, that. it got sloppy. You, you, you're right. They captured the creation of Jagged Little Pill. And that initial run and, you know, the rise to fame, that whole part was fantastic. Everything else was clunky. Uh, it, it's and it, I had the same problem with the Woodstock documentary where they were complaining about girls showing their boobs, yet they couldn't stop showing girls with their tops off on that stupid documentary. Uh, you know, they they want to do something here with the guys in the movie, and they're definitely cutting around them to make them, you know, to make it look like there was a some sort of conflict or something that might have been there, but there wasn't enough in the interviews to really have any weight. But the way they cut it, it, it just was clunky, and it made you more annoyed at the filmmakers and Bill Simmons and then than anything else. Uh, you could definitely tell the points where they were trying to, yes, perhaps create drama that wasn't there. Like there's a point where T- Taylor Hawkins, who's now the drummer for Foo Fighters, who was her drummer on the Jagged Little Pill tour. Uh, she essentially helped to discover him. Uh, he He's talking about how at the end of the tour, he decided to leave to go join Foo Fighters and how emotional was that was and how he felt that she was certainly hurt by that and betrayed by that. They cut back to Alanis and she kind of doesn't really talk about it. And I'm thinking either they didn't ask her directly about it or they didn't or or, or they just didn't ask her at all. And about him specifically, but they wanted to create some conflict there that they didn't have. So they just kind of left it unanswered. And basically her answer to it is, you know, it was hard ending that tour with this group of people that I was with for a very long time. Right. Well, and even the the fact that all the guys in the band were getting with girls right and left, they're talking about it. And she just kind of was like, it was weird and awkward. And, and then they didn't have enough there to really... Uh, it could have been interesting, I suppose, but they didn't. They, they didn't have enough there to make it interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. They weren't going to call out Taylor Hawkins or or, or, the, or the other two guys in the band or anything. There wasn't going to be a call out. Uh, she doesn't seem to have any bitterness towards no, them. They were calling themselves so. out more than anything and admitting. <laughs> it. But again, it was just poor filmmaking, and you know, she just more felt like she was in an awkward scenario when that was happening. And that, but it was so. 
there just wasn't enough there. She has since come out and uh, said she did not is not behind this movie. It wasn't the movie she agreed to make. And uh, I mean, this is oh for two for me. I, I thought the Woodstock one again, filmmakers with an agenda. And I, I think the same thing here. They're trying to do something. They're trying to be bigger than it was. And instead, they could have celebrated what it, celebrate this amazing album. Uh, like what the second or third be- biggest selling album of the '90s, depending on where you yeah, look. Biggest biggest selling album of all time by a, by a female artist. Thirty three million copies, which is incredible. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I I love this record, and so I like listening to her talk about writing it and you know recording it uh i this i was kind of curious about about her relationship with glenn ballard because i thought that i was under the impression that there might have been some acrimony at the end of that relationship where he was taking uh, people were giving him more credit for this like he created her and they don't and they avoid that entirely like i don't think she says a word about glenn other than yeah you know, I, I went to his house and we recorded. <laughs> it's like there should be a more more of a story there, shouldn't there? People were giving him credit for creating her. Well, and and she briefly mentions how some women shot her down. And I mean, I know for a fact Courtney Love tore her apart, hated yeah. her because she didn't write her own music. And again, I, it's the funny thing is Glenn Ballard left this and went to work with Aerosmith after that. <laughs> You know, and so he's he done. There's nothing wrong collaborating. That's what musicians yeah. do. Whether you're collaborating, well, and, and with he own- says in the thing, like he was constantly surprised by her writing this stuff. <laughs> like, so actually, she did write this. those words are hers. Yeah, and I'm sure he wrote a lot of the music, but I'm sure she did too. And it was a collaboration. There's nothing. It's silly. That that's stupid. I I don't know. I'm not a big. I don't like when other musicians tear down in each other. And I know, I, I don't know, this album still holds up to this day as Absolutely. one of the great records of all time. I just went and saw the, what, what was it, the 30th anniversary tour or 25th? Yeah. Uh, that was amazing. Uh, and, and and what I love, too, is after this she was in a better place and her albums changed they were they were more they were authentic to who she was in that moment whenever she did something every yeah. single record she's done since then and i don't love all of them but the ones i the ones i've listened to i like some i think the, the i mean city of angels is a shit movie but that soundtrack's pretty phenomenal between her song and the goo goo song and a couple others yeah uh i and this is my wife's favorite artist so i i I don't know. I think she's great, and I, I wish she would have done her better justice. It's really I sad. love the follow-up record, Supposed Former yes. Infatuation Junkies. It's a fantastic record, and and I get to brag that uh, at the show I was at in November of 95, she performed an early acoustic version of Thank You and Unsent. So I, I got to see those perhaps before many did live. Wow, and if you saw the Adler, was that before she blew up? No, no, this was after. This was definitely after oh, she was. So she had done yeah, the stadium thing, and then was yeah. still okay. Cool. Yeah, this was near the end of near the end of the tour, I would say. Okay, that makes like more right sense. before she went to Europe, but af- well after she like she broke in she broke in L.A. back in April and and May and June, and then by November, you know, she'd already. I'm sure an artist her size probably would have canceled the Adler if she could. Yeah. <laughs> by the time she got there, she was one of the biggest stars in the world. And did we have an arena at that point? 
I don't remember. I think we I think we had the iWireless Center at that point. It would have been pretty close. <laughs> yeah. The Mark of the Quad Cities what yeah. is what it was that then. Yeah, I I don't know. Again, just a just a bummer. I, I you know, you could take 20 minutes of this, maybe 15, whatever whatever that chunk of time was. Uh I loved that. Uh it was just a really cool story and uh and then they just shit the bed from then on out and it's not <laughs> fair to her. You know, you even got Kevin Smith yeah. in there and they do nothing with it. I mean, you don't, I love her in Dogma, I think. She's you know, and she and she talked about loving Dogma and said loved how much she loved the script and yeah. Well, she was supposed to play Linda Fiorentino's part at one point, so but couldn't make it work, and then asked if they still had a role for her when she got <laughs> back. But no, big fan and kind of bummed that this kind of is just filmmakers going into business for themselves. <laughs> All right, what do we got? Oh, yeah, how do you forget this one? Tick, tick, boom. Tick, tick, boom uh, stars Andrew Garfield as... Uh, Broadway legend Jonathan Larson, uh, who became a legend with just one major show. Uh, he was the writer of Rent. He created Rent, and this is the story of him creating what he would go what would go on to be Rent. The ideas that would come to become Rent eventually. Uh, this takes us back to uh, well before anybody knew who Jonathan Larson was when he was writing his first uh, show that he intended to be a big Broadway show and putting it on uh, display for people to to uh, look at and perhaps fund and put on Broadway. Uh, and this movie is incredible. It's so emotional. It's so incredibly well-staged. The music is outstanding. Uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda does this amazing job of taking the original uh, stuff of what uh, what Jonathan Larson did, in this, in, which is, again, Tick, Tick, Boom was its own stage uh, performance, a staged musical of sorts, a rock and roll musical, I think is what he called it. Uh, he takes that music and and finds the essence of it and puts a little bit of himself, but not too much. Like it doesn't turn into Hamilton at any right. point, which I really I was kind of worried. I was worried going ahead like this is gonna if this gets to be too much of his style. But he sticks very close to Jonathan Larson's style with just enough of that Lin Manuel Miranda panache to make it work. And uh, especially there's a there's this amazing scene uh, set at the uh, diner where Jonathan Larson works that turns into this massive musical that just happens to have every Broadway star on the planet in it. And that moment is just so awesome. So, so awesome. Um, I, I've become kind of a Broadway nerd in just the last couple of months just because I, I found this YouTube channel called uh, Wait in the Wings. And it's got these amazing stories about... Uh, uh, Broadway flops, which I'm always a big fan of when when something goes bust, and he just does a great job of covering Broadway history, and uh, so that's got me into this thing. And so seeing all this stuff that I now know about Broadway, uh, and and seeing it come to life in this way, like this is this is about creation, this is about art, this is about music, this is about inspiration. Where does it come from? How does somebody come to write something amazing? That's all in here. And Andrew Garfield has all of this incredible life in him. He's just so dynamic and uh, really makes you understand why Jonathan Larson 
was going to create something big. And I, I do wonder now, I mean, I hate rent. <laughs> like, I think rent sucks. But I think I think if he were alive today, he might have made some adjustments or he might have at least changed people's perception of it in some ways. Like, it was of this time and here's why I wrote it and here's what it means. As opposed to people having to interpret him afterwards, which is certainly the case with the movie. Uh, having to been, having made without him at all because of course he passed away just as rent was starting on broadway um so this is this is far truer to who i i hope jonathan larson was than i think the rent movie adaptation was yeah it made me appreciate rent a little more but i still don't like it i I appreciate where it came from based on this movie uh because i'm always a big fan of you know, we were talking about Jagged and how she created the album and what it became. I, I like that those stories, and this does a great job of telling that story uh, for Aunt Jonathan Larson. Uh, and I just, I was, I, I was really intrigued the entire time. I'm not a big musical guy. I, I have been a fairly decent sized fan of Lin Manuel Miranda. Sorry for getting the syllables wrong, or the the accents of it wrong but uh you know at least i like hamilton and i I don't mind his style his style can get repetitive but you're right he does just enough here where it brings it to modern day but doesn't take over the songs as far as i know i don't know the songs from adam so uh but i mean they're they're good and andrew garfield disappears into this role i've never seen him this good ever yeah. and he's a pretty good actor so i'm really impressed with that i mean i'm not the demographic for this and i thought it was really quite fantastic uh i think the songs are great uh just the fa- and even watch seeing his tapes on the wall being like all metal bands was also awesome for me uh and I you and I can I get it I get why why someone like him would be into musicals I get why the guys from South Park I mean it start, it's this kind of makes that make sense to me a little bit because I can mm-hmm. watching him write the songs at least the way they thought he wrote the songs it's just really fascinating and I, I just I've always liked the creation process whenever a movie can capture that or a play can capture that. Uh, there's nothing better for me than that, and and when you can capture that, that's that's the best. And this movie really is fantastic, and I think everybody should watch it. I also love that contextually, like so much of the music, especially this big important song that he that he's struggling to write. He's got major write, writer's block about. He can seemingly write a song about anything, as they demonstrate throughout the movie. Uh, but he has this one big song that he needs to write, and he can't seem to write it, and he's struggling with it. And in the context of that, knowing how much like he stresses over this and sweats over every every word of it. And then only to find out that he's done this for absolutely nothing. Uh, it's coming to absolutely nothing. This musical he's working on ends up going nowhere. Uh, it just, it's so moving in that context. It becomes just so uh, cathartic when he then turns it into the rock and roll musical, which becomes Tick, Tick, Boom. And that leads, of course, to Rent. All that effort does come to something. But uh, just in that context, it becomes so beautiful. The way the, the effort, the life that he brings to that is, is superb. Yeah, I mean, and even him create, finally coming up with that song, the way he does, is pretty funny. Uh, even in a very emotional moment that turns into comedy, good comedy. Yeah. Uh, 
and then the, uh, how he just, you know, I love how he has to do this. He is struggling. He is starving. He has no money. But, you know, he has to do this. There's nothing that can stand in his way. He it, it will kill him if he doesn't do it. It'll kill him if he does yeah. do it, apparently. But <laughs> and that was I didn't mean to make a joke, but I mean that's right. what happened. Yeah. Uh but I you know, there is those artists that just this is what they're gonna do and they it doesn't matter. And, you know, you have friends along the way trying to get them to step up into the real world and and then they change you know, later on there's reason not to and uh, I, I don't know. It was just very. I, I those people exist. I think that's really cool. Uh, I know a lot of people are annoyed by people like that, but I'm not. I, I think it's really. I really enjoy people who are willing to struggle in life for their for what they believe in, and that's really really a neat thing uh, that I really liked about this movie and. The fact that he stuck with it, and even though he never got to enjoy it, he still reached where he wanted to. And even how he got to the mainstream success, he didn't get there in a cheap fashion. He found something personal to get there. And yeah, I'm not a big rent guy, but I'm also not the demographic for it. So Mm -hmm. yeah, whatever. It's it's very much from 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 his very much from his experiences. You know, he he knew many people in his community. Uh, New York City, who died from AIDS, and of course that all comes to play when it comes to you know rent. Eventually, that's a big part of that show, and to see where where he's seeing that and taking all that in and uh, putting that to you know use, uh, making it making art of this tragedy is very beautiful. Uh, it's what really you know what we hope to see. Uh, it's also you know, deeply political. He doesn't, he's, even though it doesn't seem like it, it's it's very political in its way, uh, because so many people at that time are trying to. You know, they show Reagan and all those guys who are just kind of trying their best to ignore AIDS and and rent is like fuck you. You're going to pay attention to this. Well, another thing I really like about it, this movie is not about his death. It, yeah. it's about his life and the the sell the creation of you know his, his art. And they mention his death, but that's it. It's not about that. And I, I just, I really like that about it as well. Cause it's, you know, you always want to celebrate, you know, someone like him. And this movie definitely is a celebration of him. You know, and there's no the good and bad. There's no cliches either about like, no. I don't have enough time or I know I'm going to die no. young. None of that exists in this movie. Nope. Not at all. And that's. I don't know. It really is one of the best of the year, and Andrew Garfield might be my favorite of the year. Uh, he was that good. I mean, it's definitely yeah. up there. Um, I mean, other than other than maybe Dev Patel in The Green Knight, which is uh, you know, those two performances in terms of lead actors I, I, are yeah. untouchable at this point. And I don't know how you split between the two of them because they, <laughs> they both just disappear into their roles. And yeah, that's a good, great point. Uh, this definitely has a recency bias, but you're absolutely right. Anything else on Tick Tick Boom? It is on Netflix. You should go watch it. It's in my top five for the year. It's uh, battling it out with you know, the Green Knight and uh, Giants being lonely. I blame society and uh, the killing of two lovers as uh, among those. That's that's my group of the best movies of the year so far. Uh, you know, with the second tier being maybe the last duel, which is, did you see the news about that this week? Just before we move on, 
Uh, Ridley Scott Ridley Scott blames millennials for the failure of the last duel. He says that uh, kids on oh those stupid kids on their phone don't pay attention to movies anymore. <laughs> Thanks for making it hard to like your movie, Ridley. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna pretend I didn't hear that. Uh, no, I mean I yeah, it's shaping up to be a pretty good year. I mean, you also forgot the the animal movies and Pig and Lamb that were really great this year too. Yeah, so, yeah that's true. Uh, that was definitely a strong. And if not more, yeah. something uh, to be said also for Nicolas Cage and an Oscar nomination. Yeah, I, I although much as I love him, these two, I, I wouldn't be upset. I wouldn't well, be upset at all. <laughs> Let them just tie. But no, I'd be. I, I just this is a great movie. Go see it. <laughs> Our undisputed classic is Chicago feels appropriate because you know that we just talked about a broadway movie and here we are talking about chicago now and uh this of course is just this a much maligned movie to win best picture but doesn't deserve that because it's incredible uh this is a movie of just so much life and so much energy and just so much love of performance uh, the story goes that uh, Renee Zellweger's character uh, murders her boyfriend, <laughs> then tries to get her husband Amos to take the fall for it. This comes after Catherine Zeta-Jones's character Velma has murdered her husband and her sister, who are cheating on cheating together on her. Uh, she's in jail, so Roxy, Renee's character, heads to jail, and uh, they're both competing for headlines because they've got uh, Richard Gere as their lawyer, who's this lawyer who just manipulates the system in many different ways, especially in manipulating the media. And I tell you what, this is by far the best Richard Gere has ever been in a movie. He's been great in a lot of things. Uh, but I would say this is the Richard Gear. This is my Richard Gear. This is this is so much more energy and charisma that he's ever had on screen. And when he's doing the 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 press conference rag, <laughs> that is such an amazing scene. The choreography is spectacular. The wit is on point. His delivery is perfect. Uh, then he does the little tap dance bit at the end, and that is incredible. The this the way he's capable of building tension with his voice and with you know using his manner to help aid the song to really communicate the personality behind the song is spectacular. He is so great in this, but everybody's great in this. Uh, I don't even think Rob Marshall is that great a director, but I think he's I think this is materially so good that he can't miss. And I think you you see after this when he does nine and memoirs of a geisha where where he's uh, he's he's far more try hard in those and here it's just so effortless because all of the charisma is already in the show and you've already assembled the perfect group of actors including these three but also queen latifah tay diggs uh, uh john uh, uh john c riley john c riley uh, Mr. Cellophane is is so good. <laughs> He's so amazing in that performance. Uh, just everything. I just, I loved this movie when it came out. I loved this movie when it won Best Picture. I thought I thought it deserved to win Best Picture, and I'm even more on board now after watching it again. Those horns, those spectacular songs, just the insanely strong wit of this story. It's just so very very good. Yeah, I mean, I'm not a broadway snob yet either but uh, i mean <laughs> but you know i was a big fan of book of mormon 
and I've seen that a couple of times. And then Hamilton is fantastic. And then watching Tick, Tick, Boom, not to mention some other movies, uh, La La Land a couple of years ago was not was a musical uh, right. that I liked. And uh, and I probably should go back and watch Les Mis again. As I appreciate it, but it's not my thing. And it's still, right. I mean, this still isn't. I prefer a lot of those movies to this. But I, everything you're saying is 100% true. Uh, it's not that it's a bad movie. I just I'm more into different things. But I mean, you could argue, and you're probably right. Not only is this Richard Gere's best role, but probably Catherine Zeta-Jones and Renee Zellweger's. I mean, they've had bigger movies, or at least Renee Zellweger has. But they definitely all own the screen in this movie, and it's watchable. And I definitely had a greater appreciate it for appreciation for this one. Than more than I did the first time I saw it. Yeah, and it, it's definitely watchable, and it's it's cute and fun, and it's just I I don't like I don't know I don't know why it's I can't get into it as much as other people can, but it's also it's it's a niche, you know. It'd be like if Hereditary won an Oscar, and you know people who aren't into horror movies aren't going to like that. So you know I'm <laughs> all for you know. It deserves everything it got. There's absolutely nothing wrong with this movie. It's damn near perfection. And if and it, you're probably right, it's not the director as much as everything involved with this is just perfect. That it you could mess it up if you wanted to. I'm I'm retroactively angry at whoever beat Richard Gere for best supporting actor, which it turns out it was uh, Chris Cooper in adaptation, which is an amazing performance. I think this is better. I love adaptation. I think this is a better performance. Uh, I do. Um, so I, I'm going to, I'm going to take that one away from Chris Cooper, but uh, the, he's just, I just adore this movie. I, I, I really didn't realize how much I enjoyed this until I get to watch it again. So excited to get to watch it again. And just, and part of it, of course, is probably my newfound relationship with Broadway as well. But uh, nevertheless, I just have such a new appreciation for him and this movie. Cause I don't think Richard Gere is very good. Uh, overall, I think he's made a lot of terrible movies. I think he was the the hero of the of the '80s wine mom. <laughs> That's where he got his thing going. And uh, I think later on he did start to earn it a little bit. Uh, he did he did this, and and I think Doctor T and the Women is incredibly underrated. A Robert Altman movie that everyone hates but me. Oh, I and love then, that uh, movie. Yeah, it's a great. It's a great movie, right? But that's also written to his to who he yeah. is. So that's yeah. not as much a stretch. But no, I get what you're saying. And hoax is another uh, hoax is an awesome movie. What a fantastic film, and he, he's great in that. Yeah, but this one is so not him. I mean, and that's what's and and the fact that he nails it. And again, I don't know Richard Gere, but I've seen him in enough movies where he's done the same thing for decades up until yeah. this, really. And, coasting on his looks right <laughs> and i mean it might i mean i couldn't imagine harrison ford you know some another guy who's kind of like him jumping in this movie and being this good and that's i mean he really does just shock you that that really does i don't know it, it's just it, neat. i had this i had this thought while i was watching tick tick boom and i had this thought again while i watching chicago because People continuously undermine my confidence or try to undermine my confidence in Lay Miz by trashing Russell Crowe's performance and saying that he can't sing. And 
I don't know if Russell Crowe can sing, but he nailed the emotion of the singing. He he got the story. He got the meaning of it. Uh, the, the death scene that Russell Crowe has the Les Mis, you believe that, not because the singing is beautiful, but because the deep, heartfelt meaning, like his world has been shattered by what he's just seen. He has no other choice but to kill himself. You can't t- you can't touch that for me. That nailing that emotion is great. And Andrew Garfield, I don't know if Andrew Garfield can sing either. I don't know if he's any good as a singer, but he's he captures the emotion of each song and the purpose and the point and the wit of each song. And that's all Richard Gere does here. He I don't think Richard Gere is a very good singer. I really don't. But the he gets the point. He has the humor. He has the wit. He has the bravado and the confidence. To, to sell you these songs, the way he's selling it to the media, the way he's selling it to you know, Renee and Catherine, that he's, he's a salesman, he's a showman. And that confidence that he has in delivering this, even as he's not a great singer, it doesn't matter because he's got every other aspect of it nailed. He's just good enough to carry the tune. Oh, absolutely. Uh, and I agree with you on Russell Crowe. That's one thing I did take away from that movie. And, uh, I think even before I met you, I remember Russell Crowe. I mean, I, I'd met you, but before we started in the podcast, because I think the movie came out right before we started doing it, maybe the year before. And I remember Russell Crowe on Twitter, you know, saying exactly what you said. It wasn't about, <laughs> you know, how many what notes I could hit. It was about, you know, capturing the, you know, the motion of the song. So, in the moment in the movie, so I, I agreed a hundred percent with what you're saying there, and. Uh, and again, that tap dancing scene is just the whole idea of it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Because he's tapping around. <laughs> the questions. Uh, I, it's cute. It's clever. And it's good for for what that is. And again, I, if Heredity had won Best Picture, I would be in heaven. But a lot of people would hate it because it's not their thing. And Right. So I kind of look at it like that, but it really does. It is as good as you can. It's a great musical. It really is. All right. I think that is all of our movies we're going to talk about. We will briefly talk about what came out in 91. A lot of kid movies. Adam's Family came out. Fable Goes West. Beauty and the Beast, which is actually a pretty big movie. <laughs> uh, but we did a big episode on that yeah. way back when the live action came out. And then for the boys, Bette Midler. I've never seen that. Yeah, I've never seen that. I've not. I've I've heard about it. People love people who love Bette Midler love it. So good yeah. for them. Enjoy. Yeah. I liked that. I was family as a kid. Uh, hated Five yeah. Goes West because I loved an American Tale, and Five <laughs> Goes West didn't capture anything from the original movie at all. And Beauty and the Beast is Disney, and they don't really mess that up. So. I, don't, I don't know the the full story, but I, I have just kind of glanced at a couple of stories that said that Philo Goes West was this just massive boondoggle from beginning to end, where uh, there there's like allegations that people were using it to hide money, and <laughs> so there's a, better, there's a far better story behind Philo Goes West as opposed to what's on the screen. I would believe that a hundred percent. Because <laughs> it is compromised on every level. Like I loved that movie as a kid. It was one of like that was sad, you know. It was as yeah. I got older, it's more cheesy. But when I was little, it was a bit, you know. It was one of the first movies to really make you possibly tear up or whatever. And then then they go into this weird western bullshit. <laughs> 
Right. I, I mean, the first movie that, that uh, say what you will about the song uh, somewhere out there, but a little boy singing about how somewhere his mom is in the same universe as him and she's nowhere near. I'm tearing up just thinking about the idea. Uh-huh. <laughs> and, I, and maybe, yeah. And, and I go back to, cause I was probably the age of what five would have been when it came out. So I can, I've always liked it. And I know I just kind of like, it's cheesy. I'm not going to pretend it's not, but I've always was a fan of that. Uh, but yeah, I, and I remember when Follow Goes West came out, just be like, what the fuck is this? Bullshit? <laughs> not even swear back then. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Oh, wrong button. Let's see here. Uh, before we let you go, do you want to play some flick chart or do you got to get going? Absolutely. Let's go. All right. And this is a pretty easy one. It child's play three. Yeah. It the man from the diners club or saw just a brief aside. I, I've actually just reviewed a movie that has uh, Brad Dourif's daughter, you know, Brad Dourif from child's play. Uh, his daughter is in it, Fiona. And she is apparently she has, I didn't see it in this movie that I saw, but it, she's like playing him in the candy or the child's play TV show. Oh, really? <laughs> flashback, she's playing him and she's amazing. The, the thing about it that I noticed in this movie I watched was called the Shuru project is that she has that same bizarre unpredictable quality that brad duraf has that makes him so exciting and so i I don't necessarily think this is a very good movie but she she's pretty great well that's i mean that's the funny what's funny about the child's play movies in general i mean you got an oscar winner in brad duraf i think jennifer tilly was nominated for an oscar and she goes on (laughs) to you know basically her career turns into a child's play in poker (laughs) all the (laughs) Good stuff she was doing, you know, right. didn't get to go with her. But, you know, it, she probably made a lot more money doing it that way. Uh, and it's just so silly. I don't know. Uh, it, the dolls still sell to this day, and I don't know what the... don't understand. I don't understand. Have you seen Man from the Diners Club? I've not. I've not heard that one. American Gangster or Saw? Saw. Yeah. I think American Gangster was just not quite. It was just a little less. Yeah. Uh, Naked Gun, Two and a Half, The Smell of Fear, or Anchor Anchorman, The Legend of Ron Burgundy? Anchorman. Absolutely. National Treasure, Book of Secrets, Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette. Agreed. People need to watch that movie again and actually watch it with the right context. Oh, it's really good. <laughs> it's really good, but there are a lot of people who think that movie sucks. What context are they watching it in? <laughs> right? Uh, the, the context of that it's uh, that it's overly opulent and celebratory of a monster and whatnot. It's like, no, that's the point. <laughs> Unforgiven Rocky Four. I think that was part of part of that was just a backlash against Sofia Coppola at the time. Like, uh, you know, she became so big so quickly. And then the nepotism thing, people start saying that stupid nonsense, despite the fact that she'd already made two incredible movies by that point. Uh, 
And then just people trying to take her down, I think, is mostly the reaction to Marie Antoinette. It is funny. My brother, that's one of the, you know, how he hates, he hates nepotism. He actually doesn't mind her. So <laughs> he likes Lost in Translation and all that. And like, it's not Bill Murray because he didn't like Ghostbusters. So <laughs> uh, but no, I, I Sophia, Sophia Coppola has made some fantastic movies. I, I've loved every one of them. Every one of them. Unforgi- Even the Steven Dorf one. <laughs> <laughs> Unforgiven Rocky Four. Unforgiven. Yeah. Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy American Wedding. <laughs> it's so weird that I have to think about this. Because you're never going to watch it again. <laughs> That's the problem. That's fair. I'm never going to watch Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy again. I know it's a better movie. <laughs> and on top of it, it's but not like it's American Pie 1. It's like the third if one. <laughs> If I was flip, flipping channels, though, on a Saturday afternoon, if I had cable and I was flipping mm-hmm. channels and the choice came down to like Tinker Taylor Soldier Spies on one channel and American Weddings on the other one, I'm probably going to watch American Wedding. I'm with you. I mean, I just watched because <laughs> I'm trying to stay away from my family because I'm a horrible <laughs> husband uh, and they have COVID and I don't. Uh, I watched <laughs> and I'm going to say that I feel like a total asshole. Uh I watched Hall Pass. wasn't where I was going with that. <laughs> it sounds really bad. But it, it, similar to American Wedding, I'm just flipping through, and it was on. I'm like, oh, I like this movie. Okay. And I'm trying to fall asleep with it on, and I couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> that movie has just one of the very few. I don't like shit jokes, but the shit joke in Hall Pass is pretty good. That one's the, pretty good. He's in the sand trap. <laughs> Well, even the, like they're trying to do pickup lines, and he just sniffs a napkin and goes, "This smell like chloroform." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, an icebreaker. <laughs> <laughs> just so wrong and stupid, and uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so I still laugh when I think about that movie. Are we going American Wedding? Then? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why not? Shut up, Internet. <laughs> I mean, and, and in fairness, if Tinker Taylor Soldier Spy were better, we'd want to watch it more. Right, right. Exactly. Modern Times, It's a Wonderful Life. Modern Times. Never seen it, so I'll go with you. The Hot Chick, Get Shorty. <laughs> Get Shorty. Flubber Bloodsport. <laughs> Bloodsport. Uh, Flubber looks like he got kicked by John Claude Van Damme. <laughs> Army of Darkness, horrible bosses. Army of Darkness. Yeah, although I do, I just, I just think I like Jason Sudeikis more or less. That's got to be it, because I mean, when you look at horrible bosses and they go and cast a woman in the role of the lech, come on, come on, <laughs> come on, really? Harvey Weinstein's Hollywood in full effect. <laughs> yeah. Well, then you throw in Kevin Spacey, just not quite what it used to be. Rox- yeah. Roxanne Under Siege. <sighs> under, you see, under, Steve Martin, so Roxanne is Steve Martin, and he's very funny, but Under Siege has Tommy Lee Jones getting a knife stuck in his head. So, I mean... <laughs> 
where do you come down on this? Yeah, and Roxanne. <laughs> yeah, Christy Swanson used to sway me, but now she's a <laughs> kind of a whack job. <laughs> I don't even want to watch that scene anymore. Uh, Beverly Hills Cop Two or Sister Act? Beverly Hills Cop Two. Yeah. Empire of the Sun, Final Destination. <laughs> this is funny because I hate Final Destination. <laughs> and if I have to choose one, I'm going to watch Final Destination. <laughs> I never want to see him Empire of the Sun again. I'd rather just watch people die in creative ways. Oh, yeah. As lame as I think it is. <laughs> Empire of the Sun is homework, man. It's homework. Don't give me homework. It's the opposite of homework. Mad Max Fury Road and Mr. <laughs> Deeds. Oh, no, I hate Mad Max, remember? Yeah. It's Mad Max of the <laughs> Hulk 03 and Flux. <sighs> they both suck. Yeah, both um, disappointments. And Flux. Yeah, probably. Stand by me, Iron Man. Iron Man. Yep. Jeff, who lives at home, El Mariachi. <sighs> That's tough. I mean, they're two incredibly different movies, but each is actually very good in its way. Uh, Jeff, who lives at home, is really, really very funny and kind of dark and 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 weird and unique uh and nobody remembers it and i love jason siegel and ed helms is his brother i mean come on that's 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 a winning duo um and el mariachi is like some incredible bloody violence incredibly well well put together before you know robert rodriguez got rich and lost his edge uh <laughs> um i'm i'm not sure where to come down to this I agree. I love both movies. I, because I have a soft spot for the low budget first time out kind of thing, I'm going to go El Mariachi, but that's just out of a personal bias to that type of movie. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's just more my excuse. <laughs> I don't know which one I'd watch right now. Probably, I'd probably watch either one of them if they were on. Yeah. Uh, the Weatherman, March of the Penguins. One's not very good. The other's not one I ever want to see again. Um. <laughs> but the one that's not very good, I don't know if it's not very good until I watch it again. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, March of the Penguins. Yeah, fine. I've never actually seen the other man. I want to just vote for it for out of principle. Uh, Rango or Dr. Seuss How's the Grinch Stole Christmas the Jim Carrey version Rango all the way one of the best animated movies ever made absolutely this isn't fair adaptation or swingers I mean that's not fair to make me pick between those two movies it's adaptation it's not that hard but I love swingers swingers is great adaptation is one of the one of the best ever uh, the Brothers Grimm School for Scoundrels. Garbage movies. Both are garbage. All right, then let's just say we haven't seen either one of them. <laughs> Red Dragon Nosferatu. Uh, Nosferatu. 
Yeah. Golden Knight Supergirl. Is this a TV movie or does this go to theaters? <laughs> no, it's real. Supergirl's real. You haven't seen Supergirl? Well, no, I've seen it. I just always saw it on TV, though, so I wasn't sure if it was in the movie theaters or not. <laughs> uh, Supergirl's hilarious for all the wrong reasons. It's terrible. because It's one of the worst movies ever made, but I'll watch that before I watch Goldeneye any day. That's <laughs> why. I mean, I've seen it a handful of times as a kid. Never seen Goldeneye because I don't like James Bond. Uh, Constantine Tootsie. Oh, fuck you, Dustin Hoffman. It's Constantine. <laughs> I've never seen Tootsie. Don't really feel hate, like it anymore. I hate Tootsie. I hate it. I hate it. 30 Days of Night, Greece. 30 Days of Night. Yeah, you think with your new found love of, I guess, Greece is Broadway, isn't it? So you think you'd like it if you went back and watched it? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. Uh, Fight Club Rain Man. Fight Club. Fuck you, Dustin Hoffman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, move the, that used to be closer for me, and now it's just getting... I'm still trying to hold on love for Rain Man, but it just keeps going further and further away. The Adjustment Bureau Tangled. Tangled. <laughs> yeah. Adjustment Bureau had a really great idea. Now, I think someone, Corey, told me from who used to do Ivanity, he said, you guys should talk about it on your podcast. I guess another podcast did this, so we're kind of stealing their idea. But I'm sure we have no carrot crossover because it's like a Notre Dame football podcast. Anyway, uh, if you were on the run from Jason Bourne, do you think you could make it seven days without getting caught? <laughs> no. If he was in another country or something, if he started off in another country, <laughs> I still think he'd kill me. And I told him, like, it's not going to be a very interesting conversation because Sean's going to say no right away. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then I run the risk of being that, you know, douchebag guy who's like, yeah, I could do it, or or I just end it with him. <laughs> so, yeah, other than the fact that he has, doesn't he have amnesia or something like that? So that would only something shot like as if. We are in the country. Still wouldn't prevent him from catching you and snapping your neck, though. Well, right, but he's got to know he's looking for me. (laughs) That's the only thing I can. The only thing I can hang my hat on. (laughs) Brian Cox didn't think you could find him, and he did. So, yeah. And he's the head of the CIA. So, fair point. Uh, Monty Python's "The Meaning of Life," Bridget Jones' Diary. Bridget Jones' Diary. Yeah. It might be closer, but holy, holy grail, it would be closer. But but no, I mean, I just said Chicago is her best role, but she's done a lot of good movies I kind of forgot about. Farewell, My Lovely, The Other Guys. I've not seen Farewell, My Lovely. You know what else is great? Ray is great in his Cold Mountain. Yeah. Jerry Maguire. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jul- uh, Judy, the Judy Garland movie. She was yeah. fantastic. Thank you for smoking. The other guys. <sighs> I make too much money to ever smoke. <laughs> I'm going to pick that one just because I love the poster. <laughs> I actually love that movie. It's so good, right? Yeah. <laughs> wow, this is a good one to go out on. <laughs> Midnight Cowboy or Mr. Baseball. <laughs> Mr. Baseball. Tom Thug, <laughs> Fuck you, <please>. Dustin Hoffman. 
<laughs> oh man! All right, that's our show. Uh, I'm kidding about Dustin Hoffman a little bit. <laughs> it is Watching good. dies tomorrow. How great will I look? <laughs> wow! Yeah, but I mean, it's—he's getting harder to watch, and he's not quite. He's all. If you look back now, he's always been pretty hard to watch. Right. But it's. I'm just starting to notice it, and now it's. I don't know. It's weird, and not even like a bummer. It's just kind of like ew. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Anything else before we go? No, that's it. All right. Well, I'll talk to you later. Sounds good. Have a good night. <laughs>